For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi, and welcome to The Rock Podcast. It's time for some more wise sayings brought to us through the pen of King Solomon and by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now let's join Pastor Ross with a study going through Proverbs chapter 20. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love. Thank you for being here tonight by your Holy Spirit. Father, truly you have things to say to us. You have comfort for us. You have correction. You have exhortations and warnings and commendations even, Lord, but help us to hear what your Spirit is saying. In Christ's name we pray, amen. It's been said half of being wise is knowing when you're foolish or where you have foolish tendencies. And it's really about self-awareness. It's so foundational. And the Bible is a great help with that. Uh, James chapter one, James calls through the Holy Spirit the word of God a mirror for us and that we can look into the word of God. It judges our uh, hearts and our attitudes and um, shows us what we truly are, where we need to grow. And uh, James says, you know, you wouldn't look in a mirror, see something out of place, and then walk away and do nothing about it, right? So when you look into the word of God, he, show, he judges our attitudes and, and our secret places and shows us, oh, you got something there, we got to deal with that. And so that's the part of, that's what really makes wisdom is being able to be aware and take action. And the cool thing about the mirror analogy is that it's more than just a mirror. It helps us. The word of God is active and living, and it enables us, strengthens us to be able to make those changes. So it doesn't just point something out and says, hey, take care of this. This is foolish or this is dangerous. The word of God enables us as we decide to cooperate with him. He enables us with strength. And so uh, we're about to look into the mirror again here in chapter 20 with these fast-moving Proverbs, one and two sentences of wisdom, uh, little sermonettes, if you will. We're going to take a look at this and now look in the mirror and see what the Holy Spirit finds. Verse one, wine is a mocker and beer a brawler. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. All right, so we're off to a pretty good start here uh, tonight. Here is a warning uh, not to let something that God has uh, made a blessing, intended a blessing, uh, to let it become rather a curse. So Psalm 104 uh, praises God for the wine that God gives to gladden the hearts of men. And so he meant wine to be a blessing. It can gladden, or here in this verse, warns us that it can also sadden. And, and so we don't want to be led astray by excessive uh, drinking uh, of wine or beer. And so the two adjectives here, uh, wine is a mocker, uh, meaning that those who are intoxicated, 
tend to be loud and rude and obnoxious and, and mocking that kind of uh, attitude or behavior. And of course, to become aggressive or belligerent is what brawler means. And so whenever you have bar stools crashing over guys' heads, you know that too much beer was involved in, in the situation. Now, led astray is the key, right? Just like physical intimacy is a blessing. It's meant to, to, to bring joy, right? But it can either bring joy or a nightmare. It depends on how it is used in our, in our lives. And so this is the essence here. Uh, speaking of led astray is the key. Uh, uh, Reader's Digest little thing about alcohol. Dear alcohol, we had a deal where you would make me funnier, smarter, and a better dancer. I saw the video, we need to talk. <laughs> now, last thing I want to say about this is not only will too much wine make you a unsavory character, a mocker, but it also means that you will become the object of the wines mocking you. So, for example, you know, along the bike trail, uh, they call it uh, bum alley. The, the actual uh, term, the reputation, is that you go down the bike path and lives are strewn all over the place, just laying down in piles of garbage. Just all, every 10 feet, there's somebody there. And there's a bottle, always a bottle and a paper bag, you know. And, 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 and what this verse is saying is, check out the bag. Look at the mess. Look at the train wreck of the person. Put the bag to your ear and you'll hear laughter. The bottle laughing at the fool who was led astray. Verse two. A king's wrath is like the roar of a lion. He who angers him forfeits his life. He's always talking to his young sons about respecting and submitting to authority, something that young teenage boys often have a problem with. But if you're going to make it in life and be blessed by God, you've got to learn at an early age not to mess around with authority because you can forfeit your life. And so Romans 13, 1 through 5, here's the beginning understanding of what this verse means. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the king, the authority, is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. That's the essence of the proverb right there. Verse three, for rulers hold no terror for those who do right, ideally, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear from the one in authority? Then do the right thing and he will commend you for he's God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He's God's servant, the agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it's necessary to submit to the authorities, not only for possible punishment, but also because of conscience. Now flip back to verse two again, right? A king's wrath, the leader, the authority, the governing system is like the roar of a lion. He who angers him forfeits his life. That's the understanding there. So, uh, and you do not want to anger and oppose yourself to the king, of kings, 
because then you truly do forfeit your life. But learning how to submit to God comes by learning how to submit and obey the rules when we're younger. So verse three, it is to a man's honor to avoid strife, but every fool is quick to quarrel. So the wise person is masterful at avoiding unnecessary conflict, which is most of what we deal with in a day's time. Now, we do have things that we divide over. We, we never compromise over doctrinal uh, error or immorality, but smart and honorable people are peacemakers. They just don't just want to pick a fight or correct all the time or uh, always have to be right, or always have to have the last word. Uh, we are wise people know how to sidestep a possible conflict or entanglement of some kind. They just enjoy peace. They don't often, it's like a husband and wife talking and, and the husband says, uh, we lived in Cincinnati for three years and the wife rolls her eyes, harumps, and says, actually, it was two years. What was that about? Really? So the, guy, the look on the guy's face is like, you know, he's embarrassed. Again, you always have to do that. Why? And, and let's get the wife in trouble now, you know, or, or the husband in trouble now. It can go either way, but do, do we always have to pick every little thing apart? Fools do that. Wise people cut, cut slack and grace and, and merciful. And they, so they're sidestepping all day. They're playing dodgeball all day long with dumb things people say or things that could be corrected, but they're not important enough to make an issue about it. We're all guilty about that. And I can tell by looking at your faces. Verse four, <laughs> you get this look. You have no idea because you're, you're not looking at yourself. I'm looking at you, and, and yeah, so I can tell stuff. Uh, a sluggard, here we go again, does not plow in season, so at harvest time he looks around, but he finds nothing. Poor baby. Um, now, yet an, another truism about the sad results of being uh, lazy. And so, listen, here's, here's the observation. To achieve anything in life, first the hard work. If you want to win the gold medal or you want the job promotion or, or you want a nice harvest, uh, you're going to have to do the necessary work to obtain that. And here's the irony of this verse is the guy won't do the hard work, but when Thanksgiving rolls around, he looks around and he's almost surprised. Like, where's, the, where's all the stuff? Where's all the trimmings? And he wants it. And you know what he's going to end up doing? He's going to invite himself over to your house where you did the hard work to prepare, right? And so this is just one more exhortation to not to be that kind of person. Son, that's what he's saying. Son, don't be like that. Verse five, the purposes of a man's heart are deep waters, but a man of understanding draws them out. It's easy to be a superficial person, and uh, something wise people are not. So uh, he's saying, listen, introspection, to do a little digging, requires us to slow down, be thoughtful, be prayerful. It's a lot of work not to be a shallow person who just get, wakes up in the morning and just goes through life about this deep. Some people, 
this deep. He says, that's foolish. Because life is down deep and the wise person who is understanding, cooperates with God, is reflective, somewhat analytical. We don't need to go crazy analytical like me. I tend to want to analyze every little thing. How many people are overly analytical? Raise your hand. Okay, well, we have some pretty uh, healthy people in this congregation. (laughs) That's good, verse 6. Many a man claims to have unfailing love, but a faithful man who can find. And so uh, here's the axiom here. Talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. All right, I'll be there for you, man. When the chips are down, you can count on me. You need help moving? I'm there on Friday night. I'll be there. I'm uh, I'm there for you. And so here's, you know, how about this one? I, Jack, take you, Jill. Whoa. (laughs) To be my lawfully wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, to love and honor and cherish you in sickness and in health, in good times and bad, for better, for worse. You said it. You made that promise for worse. And sometimes it's going to be worse. Everybody claims, oh, I do. I do, I do, I do. But who can find a faithful guy? Who can find a faithful gal? Who can find the guy who's actually going to show up when he said he's going to show up? He's just asking the question, verse (laughs) 7. The righteous, those right with God, lead a blameless life. Blessed are his children after him. Walking with God or not walking with God will impact others. Everything we say and do impact others. And everybody, when you get into a sinful, self-righteous, self-centered, I should say, mode, we say, it just affects me. No, your life can impact uh, generations. And so he's just saying, listen, when a, a child grows up around not perfect, blameless means not perfect, but perfectly surrendered. They're just the genuine Christian who loves God with everything they have, and they fall short, but they're just blameless. They're not living a double life, right? That impacts a child, and that impacts the way they live, and then that impacts their children. Do you know Jeroboam is the dude that caught, that split the kingdom from Israel, Israel divided into two nations, Israel in the north, 10 tribes, and Judah in the south, two tribes. But Jeroboam is the guy who, who divided the nation. And there were 20 kings after Jeroboam won. And none of them were good. And after almost all of them, it says, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord and followed the ways of his father, Jeroboam. His father, Jeroboam, we count 15 guys back, right? But no, you can impact Jeroboam impacted 20 generations. You can do the same, good or bad, good or bad. Verse eight, when a king sits on his throne to judge, he winnows out all evil with his eyes. So he's talking to sons who are heirs to the throne. And he's saying, listen, you're gonna have sons, leaders, heads of households. 
you're going to have to learn how to be discerning of right and wrong and good and evil. And, and, and you're going to have to be able to make judgment calls. You're going to have to have a good sniffer for liars and cover-ups and manipulations. Uh, uh, ancient kings judged. They were judges. And so he's, he's saying you're going to have to develop a sense of discernment of what's right and wrong. And to winnow out with his eyes just means he could just tell. Winnow out just means to deal with them. Deal with them decisively. Uh, verse 9, who can say, I have kept my heart pure, I am clean and without sin? A little reminder that a small amount of humility is in order in all of our lives. God's people are quick to become self-righteous. It's so hard. Dave Galindo and I were talking about this today. We were at a place where there were a lot of broken people. And it was so tempting to just look down our, our noses at them because they have self-inflicted wounds and problems and, and all kinds of chaos and drama and trouble and obnoxiousness. And, I, and we were saying that's who Jesus hung out with and he was friends of them. And people used to call him, but you're a friend of sinners. And he'd say, thank you very much. That's sort of a compliment. That's why he came. And so there's a fine line between knowing right from wrong and judging good from bad and then having disdain. But if you embrace this, that you don't keep your heart pure, nobody in this room has. He's just saying, who can? Who can say, I'm pure. I'm keeping my heart pure 100% every single day. You can't say that. So join the rest of us broken, uh, limping along in the right direction kind of people. And what it will do is keep the disdain to a low level because there, but the grace of almighty God go you and me. The only reason I wasn't in that crowd is because Jesus, for some unknown reason, reached down, opened my eyes and, and plucked me out of that nightmare. It's the person who doesn't get this that is short-tempered, judgmental, and just not a lot of fun to be around. Amen? Amen. Verse 10. Differing weights and differing measures, the Lord detests them both. So if you missed the last 15 times he said this, uh, this is about scam artists who would uh, rig the scales, right, so that they could get a profit but do it by fraud. And the Lord says once again, I hate that kind of stuff. Just hate it. So be careful with your taxes. This is what, be careful when you sell stuff on Craigslist. Just be careful because he, he expects us to be honest. Verse 11, even a child is known by his actions by whether his conduct is pure and right. There are some different, uh, different renderings here. I think this is got it right. The the proof is in the pudding. So in the end, people can say whatever they want about themselves. I'm this, I'm that, you know. You can claim what you want. But in the end, you will be defined by what you do and what you say, not by what you claim. And so he's saying, even, you can even see that with a little kid. You know what's going on inside the little kid by what the little kid is doing. So Jesus uses almost this same proverb when he says... Um, He's talking about John the Baptist and he's talking about his ministry. 
to the Jews. And he says, you guys are, are so difficult to please. First of all, we have John the Baptist who came living kind of a, a, a ascetic kind of life. And everybody said, he's got a demon. He's demon possessed, right? And uh, some other things. And then the son of God comes and he's eating and drinking wine and they call him a glutton and uh, a drunk. So he says, uh, we, we came and we sang a party song and you didn't dance. And, 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 uh, and then I sent John and, and John was singing a dirge and you didn't mourn, right? So then he says, but wisdom, but wisdom is proved right by her children. Here it is again, just saying, John the Baptist and Jesus Christ will be judged by what they did and said and who they were not by what people said about them. Verse 12. Ears that hear and eyes that see, the Lord has made them both. And here's what this means. He made them both for a very good reason. He gave you ears to hear. Are you using them? He gave you eyes to see. Jesus says a similar thing. Do you have ears? Let him who has ears hear. Did you ever wonder why is he always saying that? Before something important, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, let him who has ears hear what the Spirit is saying. In other words, he's saying, you got ears? Prove it by listening and putting into practice the truth that's coming from God. You see, this is important. The other uh, thing is that... uh, the other way of looking at this is seeing that God sees and hears everything. He who made the ear can hear you. <laughs> and he who designed the eye, he designed the eye, he can see everything. He's the one who made the ear and the eye. So live a life that's either comforting with that truth or a warning. You want to live the, the comforting right? Did that make sense? Verse 13. Do not love sleep or you will grow poor. Stay awake and you will have food to spare. Uh, For uh, the umpteenth time, diligence leads to prosperity. Laziness will impoverish. It's been said doing nothing is hard because you never know when you're done. Um, And so... Yeah, he's relentlessly prodding his sons. Do not be lazy, you will be sorry. Verse 14, love this. This is my bell ringer for the chapter. It's no good. It's no good. It's no good, says the buyer. Then off he goes and boasts about his purchase. Oh, this is so awesome. I got it for a steal. And what the proverb is saying, yeah, You did get it for a steal. You stole a little by your little theatrical show. You know, we go up and we haggle like they did back in 2,000 years ago. They'd negotiate and haggle about a prize. And so human nature and observation that we just try to put on a big show like, I don't really need one of these, even though I'm looking for one. And I see it as like, oh, man, I've been wanting one of these. And so we put on a little show. Oh, I don't really want this or need this. And look at that scratch. And, you know, I hear something. And and it goes from 35 to 30 and then to 25. And then suddenly we say, well, okay, I guess. 
And then off we go with our perfectly good fine and our perfectly good purchase. God's people are called not to be little actors and actresses and little manipulators to try to save $10. So we put on a little show. He says, don't, don't, don't be like that. Now, there's a difference between being business savvy and a little greedy manipulator. Amen? Right? Kick the tires. You should kick the tires. But don't make stuff up. If it's a good deal, it's a good deal. Pay what he's asking for. Amen? And if you want $10 off, just come right out and say, would you take $10 off instead of the whole shenanigan thing? Oh, I think you should take $10 off because, you know, it's not, you know, you get it. Verse 15. You with me on this tonight? And you say amen? Okay, are you just convicted? <laughs> All right. Verse 15. Gold there is and rubies in abundance, but lips that speak knowledge are a rare jewel. He's saying, more precious than gems and way harder to find is a person who speaks what's right and true with wisdom. Be that precious gem. Verse 16. Take the garment of one who puts up security for a stranger, hold it in pledge if he does it for a wayward woman. Now, we've already heard the evils of co-signing. So just do not co-sign. Do not guarantee someone else's debt. There's a reason they've come to you because the banks consider them a risk. So they're a risky person. So there are two uh, no-nos here besides just the overall thing of co-signing. One is a stranger, somebody you don't really know deeply enough. The second one is somebody who's already proven to be untrustworthy. There's already a track record. So what, what it's saying is you're going to lose your shirt. So before the ink is even dried, go ahead and, and give the bike or the car, whatever your collateral is, before the deal's even done, just give it to them because they're going to default on you. Jesus said, you want to be uh, generous? Give freely. Loan without expect, uh, expecting uh, repayment. That's good. But the, the lesson here is do not put your neck on the line in a risky situation. That's the takeaway. Verse 17. Food gained by fraud tastes sweet to a man, but he ends up with a mouthful of gravel. I also love this one. Uh, so here we are, verse 17. Um, like all sin... There's a beginning initial thrill, a sweetness, like you just bit into pumpkin pie with whipped cream, and it's just whatever it is. You stole something, you got away with something, you know, you got what you were lusting after. And, and initially, there's this temporary appearance of food, delicious. Stolen waters are sweet, the other proverb, companion text to this. Right, But in the end, when the wages of sin is death, and every single time that when sin is conceived, it gives birth to death every single time. And that death is the gravel and the dirt and the ashes. The word really means ashes. It doesn't taste very good. When the divorce papers are being served, 
and the kids are crying and screaming because they have to visit mom and dad every other weekend because you had to have your false bread. In the Hebrew, it's called false bread. You had to have your false bread. And it tasted so sweet at the time. He says, watch out that. Now, here's the deal. When sin is masquerading itself as bread, sweet bread, delicious, sweetness, exciting, connected to the mouth full of ashes, fast forward the tape and you'll be done with it. Spit it out before you get it taste on your tongue. Just spit it out. Just say, hey, I know what that really tastes like. Amen? Verse 18. Make plans by seeking advice if you wage war, obtain guidance. There are some seasons in life where you just cannot wing it. <laughs> you cannot wing it. And so you go to godly parents and you look at the word of God and you go to pastors or, or counselors or teachers or experts in that field. You just cannot. God has designed us in relationship and you can't just do it on your own. If, if you've got to go to war, you need some counsel. Verse 19, a gossip betrays a confidence, so avoid a man or a woman who talks too much. Uh, here's the takeaway. It's dangerous to associate with a gossip. The gossip's job description is this, uh, to publicize personal or private information in order to uh, demean or to hurt or to embarrass. Now, if you hang out with this kind of person, it's dangerous because your secrets are not safe. You will be next. You will be next. So avoid a whisperer. The word in the Hebrew, whisperer. Hey, listen, let me tell you what. Let me tell you about this. Avoid that person. Verse 20. If a man curses his father or mother, his lamp will be snuffed out in pitch darkness. One to, to take home tonight to your children. <laughs> God has a thing about honoring your father and mother. You know, it did make the top 10. Uh, it made <laughs> verse, uh, the fifth one, right? This kind of behavior showing contempt for mom and dad, was punishable by death in the Old Testament, Exodus 21. Now, why? 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 That just sounds crazy. Listen, parents stood in the place of God. So right from the jump, that an insolent teen who would attack his parents, that kind of thing, what would unravel the family, which would, listen, would unravel society, which would unravel a nation which would unravel a nation supposedly bringing the Savior into the world. So when you look at the law and you see harsh things about when, when the Lord was zero tolerance with nations getting in the way that he's already dealt with that threatened to undo the nation or the fabric of Israel society through whom he will save the world if that line is maintained. If that comes undone, we're dead. So there's laws to establish and maintain the integrity of Israel, the nation, so that Messiah could come. Do you see that? It, it kind of makes a little bit more sense. It really just says, listen, some 
kinds of sins are symptomatic of a person heading for outer darkness and despising one's godly parents is one of them. Verse 21. An inheritance quickly gained at the beginning will not be blessed in the end. Quick cash never is the answer. Sudden prosperity, especially when it wasn't earned, just suddenly appears. All this money is almost never stewarded well because it's easy come, easy go. Just an observation. Verse 22. Love this one. Do not say, I'll pay you back for this wrong. Don't even think it. Wait for the Lord and he'll deliver you. He says in Romans, where is it? 12, I think I have it. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. This is an Old Testament thought. Evil for evil means, you know, they poke you in the eye, I'll poke you back. You know, you insulted me, I'm going to insult you back. You took something from me, I'm going to take something from you. Don't do that. Don't think like that. That's my job, God says. That's my department. You don't know enough about the motives. You don't know about the situation. You don't have the ability to do it right. That's my job. I'll do it. I'll take care of it. That's my department. It's a part of my job description, not yours. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it's possible, as far as your end is concerned, live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it's my job to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, how about this? If your enemy's hungry, feed him. Take him out for a hamburger. If he's thirsty, make him some lemonade. Give him something to drink. In doing so, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil. That's the point. But overcome evil with good. Listen, God could do a way better job getting even than you could ever dream about doing. Leave it to him. He says, vindication is the heritage of my people. I will take care of them. I'll vindicate you. All through the Psalms, David is saying, I'm not going to repay. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to get entangled. They're slandering me. God, defend me. I'm not going to defend myself. Oh, that's a wise person. Next verse. The Lord detests differing weights and dishonest scales do not please him to say the least. So those of you who have a job, those of you who pay taxes, those of you who, so, who sell your stuff, make sure you do not cut corners because it sickens him is the word when people are dishonest in commerce. Next, 24. A man's steps are directed by the Lord. How then can anyone understand his way? Right, so he's saying, listen, this is a reason why you have to read your Bible and pray and be close to the Lord and be in fellowship with God's people in a church. This is why. Why? Because God is the one who's directing and sovereignly more in control than you ever dreamed. Therefore, if you're going to reach the target for which you were aimed and shot, you have to stay 
close with air traffic control because he's the only one who knows where that arrow needs to go. So if you just think you're going to go here, you're going to go to school here, you're going to do this, you're going to take this job, you're going to move over here, without God showing you that, you could end up easily. Oh, my friend, there will be lots of people in heaven who retain their salvation but miss the mark. But they're saved. Don't miss the mark. If God's the one guiding, then how could you figure it out without him? That's what it's saying. Do you read your Bible? Are you checking in? How much time did you pray today? Were you listening? Do you even know if you're on the the right trajectory? Verse 25. It's a trap for a man to dedicate something rashly and only later to consider its vows. It does have the overtone of making promises to God primarily, but a wider application would uh, include all kinds of promises and vows. And so too many of us make promises under the inspiration of the moment, right? Only to realize later, perhaps I uh, overextended myself, right? And so somebody says, hey, I need some help on Friday. And you're like, I'm there. You didn't even stop to think. You didn't look at your calendar. And then you have to find some lame excuse why you can't uh, fulfill what it was your lips were so eager to uh, sign you up for. And so uh, being a pastor in a church, man, let me tell you, oh my word, I hear it all the time. I'm going to do this. I'm signing up for that. You can depend on me here. I'm through the years. And, And a lot of that works. Praise the Lord. Look at the blessing we have here at The Rock. But a lot of times people just get moved and inspired and start talking. And they start talking to God. Oh God, if you ever get me out of this problem, I promise. Well, look what Ecclesiastes says. Ecclesiastes is kind of a, kind of a, it's a book written as if there were no God and, and how pointless that is. But here, here he is, he's slapping uh, people upside of the head here. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than offer the sacrifice of fools too carelessly talking, you know, who do not know, what who do not know that they're doing wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Don't be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. When you make a vow to God, don't delay in fulfilling it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow, even if it hurts. It is better not to vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. I would say that most everybody in this room has made a vow to God and has not fulfilled it. How many of you are thankful for the grace of God who covers us in our foolishness? I'm raising my toes as well. Listen, he's just saying, Jesus says, hey, I've got a better plan. How about just letting your yes be yes and your no be no? And just then you don't have to say, I swear or I promise. Just just do like you said you were going to do. What a concept, Jesus. Uh, I love Jesus. Okay, next. 
A wise king winnows out the wicked. Here we go again with this discernment. He drives the threshing wheel over them. This is a good one, and I like it. Listen. <laughs> Leaders must have zero tolerance for evil. Now, here's what he's saying. A millstone is what they use to crush the grain and winnow it out, right? The, separate the husk from the kernel, right? Here's what he's saying. In your family, there's a little evil, little evil in your company, a little evil in the church, a little evil in the office, a little evil in the home kind of thing. Deal with it thoroughly and immediately. Crush that thing out or it will crush you. Because evil ignored or tolerated It'll take your family down. It'll take the church down. It'll take the office company down. So he says, listen, a wise king understands. He, he's kind of a leader, the head of household, the person who's, who has the power. When it's in your power to do something about evil, you need to do it. Verse 27, the lamp of the Lord searches the spirit of a man. It searches out his inmost being. Well, this is an easy one. God knows us inside and out, uh, which is uh, either a comfort or a warning again. So let's live uh, like, make it a, a comfort. Verse 28, love and faithfulness keeps a king safe. Interesting. Through love, his throne is made secure. Now, this, this is intriguing to me. You know, you think of government, you don't just say, you know, I'm voting for somebody who's loving. This is what he's saying. The king, the, the governing authority should be loving. So I just found it fascinating that God is telling leaders to, keep, to govern with an eye toward what's best and loving for the subjects of the kingdom, for the people, right? And I, I just found that really, and, and what it says is, look, it'll, it'll the love and faithfulness keep a king safe. Why? Because they'll keep you, they'll keep you in your position. <laughs> That's why. So who wants a, a king that's administrating lovingly? It keeps him safe because everybody loves him back and the whole realm wants him to be king over them. Keeps him safe. 29, the glory of young men is their strength, gray hair, the splendor of the old. <laughs> I know it gets a chuckle every time. Now, here's what it means. There's something good about being young. It's your muscles and your physical strength and your stamina. You could be massively productive. Okay, Eric, fine. <laughs> you made the mistake of sitting in the same seat. What is your problem? Do you not learn, you know? All right, young man, with your strength and all of that, that's your glory. But you know what about the older guys and gals? Listen. They've got something good too. The gray hair represents a godly life. And, and really the idea is if the elderly have survived so long, they must know something. <laughs> um, wisdom, experience, maturity, character, dignity, faithfulness, knowledge. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. Now, here's something here. Um, it's humbling to be aging. 
It really is. It's humbling. Your eyes start going. Uh, you're, you're, I was driving the other day, and I looked at my hands. It's like, oh, what happened? My, my hands, dad, my hands are like getting like dad's hands. Or I'll look in the mirror, in the, and it's like uh, my, my father and my grandfather. <laughs> Uh, um, you know, it just is here. Listen, I got something for you. Uh, Reader's Digest, which I love, by the way. As the hostess about aging, humbling. Uh, as the hostess at a buffet showed me to our table, I asked her to keep an eye out for my husband, who would be joining me momentarily. I started to describe him. He has gray hair, wears glasses, getting a little paunchy around the middle. And she stopped me there and said, honey, today's senior day, they all look like that. (laughs) I don't think we should be applauding. (laughs) A nominal chuckle would be fine. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. He says, and check this out. Though we, our bodies are outwardly dying, inwardly we're being renewed every day. You see? Amen. And all, <laughs> I saw all the lips moving on the amen of people with gray hair. <laughs> awesome. Uh, you would see a lot of mine if, it, if I had any. Uh, verse 30. Blows and wounds. So this is the last one, I believe. Blows and wounds cleanse away evil and beatings purge the inmost being. Now, some learn the easy way and some learn the hard way. So painful consequences are the very best therapists, the very best counselors are, I don't know if you've met them, but blows and wounds and Mr. Beatings, though that's a team. And it just wakes you up. I guess the definition of a fool is somebody who could take a beating for self-inflicted foolishness and never catch on. The evil's never cleansed out. There's no reformation. He just keeps on going forward, even though there are smackdowns and wounds and beatings. Now, I find it very amazing, prophetic fulfillment of this. Somebody you know took blows, wounds, and beatings and cleansed away all evil and purged our inmost beings. So prophetically, it's saying this takeaway. Jesus bore the wrath of God to make you clean and right with him. Why be so foolish as to put yourself in the place of needing those beatings? Jesus took the beating for you so that you could walk in enjoyment and and not have to suffer the wounds of chastisement because you're already made right. You're already cleansed. You don't need to go down that foolish path that brings down the spank down, right? The smack down or the spank up. Or the, yeah, I think you understood what I'm saying. Be smart. Enjoy God's love. Don't give him reasons to have to, um, to bring out the paddle. 
He already paddled his son. That was enough, made you right. Don't wander off where you need like double jeopardy. He already took it all out. It's all taken care of. There's no, it's the saddest thing about getting chastised is it's unnecessary. It was necessary for the prodigal in the pig pen to have no more friends, to run out of money, to have emptiness and shame and heartbreak and smell the pig slop. That was necessary because it cleansed away his evil and he got right with God and he got right with the father, his father. But once he's in the house, he doesn't need to be pummeled, does he? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we don't want to be pummeled. We want to be uh, hugged and loved on and comforted as we walk on the straight and narrow path. We just thank you for the wisdom available to us in the word. We were mightily convicted and mightily encouraged tonight just hearing your word and just comforted to know where we fall down, you cover us with grace and the righteous person stands after every time they fall. We fall seven times, we get up seven times. Thank you for your grace and your love. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.